0: Welcome to Fort Caroline Baptist Church. Glad you're here with us this morning. If you have your Bible, open to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you will. As Pastor Matt said, we're continuing our series in, uh, called Rhythms. We're looking at uh, four core spiritual rhythms that should make up the life of uh, every believer. And this is week two in that series. So Acts chapter 2, while you're turning there, um, I have a question for you. Curious, does anyone remember where they were? when the United States women's national team won the 2015 World Cup? No, nobody does? It's shocking, okay. Uh, Today, if you didn't know, uh, this morning actually, early this morning, uh, Spain defeated uh, England in the 2023 Women's World Cup to win their first ever Women's World Cup as a nation. I'm not a big women's soccer fan, but I do remember very clearly where I was uh, during the 2015 World Cup final. The uh, United States defeated Japan five to two uh, that day, and I remember that because I was sitting in a hospital. I was sitting at Norton Hospital in Louisville, Kentucky, um, and I was watching the game while my friend uh, laid asleep in the hospital bed. He didn't know I had arrived and was just sleeping off his injuries. And the TV was on. He had left it on, or somebody had left it on to. Uh, a sports channel, and so this soccer game was on. So I ended up watching the entire soccer game. And I was there because my friend, his name's Cody, uh, uh, the day before was on his way to summer vacation uh, in Michigan from uh, Louisville, Kentucky, where we lived at the time. And he was headed to to Michigan for vacation uh, with his pregnant wife and his young daughter. And their car was hit by a semi truck on the interstate. Yeah. Um, by, by God's grace, everyone survived. Um, the baby, uh, both the, the child that they had and the child she was carrying, uh, survived, and all are okay uh, today. But Cody took the brunt of it. Uh, the, the, it hit on the driver's side of their Toyota Corolla. It wasn't a big vehicle. Um, and, and so he had uh, several broken bones. His body was bruised badly, and he was in rough shape. And I was sitting in that room um, with him, and the thought occurred to me while I was there that how odd it was that I was there. You see, Cody and I had only known each other a few years. We weren't long, lifelong friends. He grew up in Oklahoma. I grew up here in Florida. Uh, we're different people. Cody and I have some overlap in our musical tastes, but he likes some weird kind of off the beaten path music. And I'm a little more bit more mainstream in my taste. Cody's into baseball and the NBA, which are probably the two sports that I watch the least of. And so we almost never had anything to talk about sports wise. And so I was thinking about what am I doing here? Why am I sitting in this hospital room with this guy that I don't even know? And the reason is because Cody and I were in a small group together um, and we had formed a bond through our church small group that has stood the test of time that was deep then and is deep now. We still talk regularly and see each other uh, occasionally, even though he lives in Missouri now and I'm here. We're still connected and we're close and we're encouraging to one another and there for one another in difficult seasons we bounce ideas and advice off of one another we have a deep and lasting friendship and it occurred to me there that it would not exist if it wasn't for the local church and that friendship and relationship was was not born out of a, a shared affinity for the same hobby we weren't golf buddies it, it wasn't that we were all sports fans it was centered on Jesus. That's why we were friends. And that's why at the lowest point of his life, as soon as I get the call that this had happened, I didn't even think of doing anything else. I just left and went to the hospital. And my question for us this morning, church, my question for you is, do you have friends in your life like that? Do you have friends in your life that if you got a call at 3 a.m. tonight and they said, I'm in trouble, X, Y, and Z has happened, would you get that call from anybody? Is there anybody that looks at you as that friend to them, besides maybe blood relatives? And who in your life would you call if family wasn't around? Who would you call at 3 a.m. in an emergency? And see, I'm convinced that the church and our faith fellowship should provide those type of relationships. And so this morning, I want to talk about why that is, and I think the Bible proves that those aren't optional relationships, but those are a logical outpouring of our faith in Jesus. So Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read this text, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, says this. Sorry, I should have told you it was the end of the chapter. Go ahead, get there. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, reads this. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word reminds us that we are not to live this life alone. But instead, as you've made us a part of your family, the family of God, that family comes with brothers and sisters in Christ that we're supposed to go through life with as we look at your word this morning, as we read about this early church, I pray that you would show us where we are lining up with what your word calls us to do, and you'd also show us where we're maybe a little off base, and that we would leave here with a commitment to live as you've called Christians to live for the sake of ourselves and for the sake of a world who needs Jesus. And so speak to us through your word, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. What I'm going to do is, I'm gonna, one, I'm going to try to go quickly. So if you're a note taker, I need you to just be ready. We're going to rock and roll today. I told someone before church, I have uh, four points uh, and nine subpoints, And so I'm just going to need you guys to hang with me, okay? I don't always do this. I don't like doing this, but just sometimes you got to do it, Okay. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this text real quick and just get a handle on what uh, Luke is telling us through this summary passage. And then we're going to draw out some implications about what that means for us. Okay. So here's what's happening here. This passage at the end of chapter two is a summary statement. This is just a, a description of what the early church Looks like earlier in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has shown up. Jesus has gone to heaven in chapter 1, the Holy Spirit comes down in chapter 2, and the church age begins, right? And, and what's happening is Luke, the author of Acts, has given us a description of the regular uh, church rhythms of the first Christians. The ones that were closest to Christ and had the Holy Spirit, this is what they said. Jesus died on a cross, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, sent his Holy Spirit, and they said, okay, this is how we're going to live. And so Luke is explaining to us what they did. And he says a few things. He says in the very first verse, kind of four items that were their typical rhythms as a church. He says they uh, had some routines, and those routines included the apostles' teaching. Uh, he says apostles' teaching was a was a big deal to them. This is obviously before the Scriptures, the New Testament had a chance to be written. The apostles are still alive and talking and teaching in this era, uh, presumably sending the letters that we now read back and forth to churches. And so the apostles are kind of guiding this new Christian church uh, in person. And, and these Christians, these early Christians, They were clinging to every word. They were devoted, it says, to the apostles' teaching, studying it, discussing it, making it a big deal in their gatherings. It says they also uh, were committed to fellowship. Fellowship, that word fellowship, you may have heard the word koinonia uh, before. That's what that word is. It just means a deep sense of connection and of sharing. We use the word fellowship all the time. In church, we have fellowship halls and fellowship gatherings. It's kind of a church word. But fellowship just means this kind of deep Christian connection in the faith. It says they were breaking bread regularly. It was a regular part of their gatherings, breaking bread. And scholars have debated, is breaking bread here talking about the Lord's Supper and communion, or is it talking about just having dinner, sharing a meal? Uh, And they go back and forth, and it's tricky to discern because in that era, they did the Lord's Supper at a meal instead of in a worship service like ours, And so scholars aren't totally sure. I am convinced, however, the context leans towards just a casual meal. It's not the Lord's Supper. There's no mention of bread and wine. That's just eating together. Getting together and having a meal was a centerpiece of their gatherings. And then it says they were devoted to prayer as well, going to the Lord in prayer as a group. And so this text says that's what these early Christians did. And as a result awe or reverence or worship comes across them as they see these apostles doing miracles. Now, miracles are a sign that the Bible gives us to, uh, for the early church and for, the, for Jesus. And it, throughout the scriptures, frankly, Old Testament and new miracles are used to confirm the message of God. And so when God sends a messenger, an apostle, or a prophet, He often accompanies their message with a miracle to confirm this really is from God. And so those things were happening in the early church. And it was confirming what they were hearing from the apostles. Verses 44, 45, 46 talk about how they shared their belongings with one another. They took care of one another's practical needs, not communism or socialism. Don't freak out everybody. This is not coerced. This is not government mandated. They clearly retained private property here. That's not what it's talking about. But it's just talking about people, Christians, who said, the things that I have don't belong to me. God has given them to me to steward for his glory and others' good. And so they were sharing with one another and taking care of one another with their physical needs. Verse 46 says they worshiped and ate together daily even in that time. And as a result, in verse 47, of the way they engaged the world around them, the community had a great deal of respect for them, and people were coming to Christ through these groups of people. So that's the summary. So we can describe what we've read here as a summary of Christian community. We use that word, it's another church word, community, so let's define it, Oxford's Dictionary. The second definition is probably the best one for how we use it, it says this. It says, community is a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. It's a good definition, a little clumsy, so we're gonna use mine. My definition is real friendship centered on Jesus. When we say community within the church, we mean real friendship centered on Jesus. The reality is our modern American busy lives don't have much space for this kind of community, do they? I mean, if we were to go back and just read this passage again slowly and just imagine how much of this is a descriptor of our life today, I've got to confess to you, even in my own life, not a lot of it really lines up. Too busy, too individualized, too closed off to live this way. But the Bible calls us to live differently than the rest of the world, doesn't it? This vision for community, I think it's God's vision for us. It's God's vision for our best life, the best way to live at our church uh, life groups are, are how we try to achieve this, but not the only way that you can achieve this. Any kind of gathering within the church can achieve this, whether that's a, a small group of three guys that get up before sunrise and study the Bible together, or whether it's a, a women's ministry event. Or you can have this type of community anywhere. Life groups may be the most compreh- comprehensive way to do it, and so that's what I'll kind of be referring to throughout the message. But I want you to hear me; that's not the only thing we're talking about. So I think we can summarize what this community of believers was about in three ways, and they're gonna guide our time together this morning. They were God-centered, servant-hearted, and mission-minded, and so let's look at each of those. First, it's important to note that Christian community is God-centered. Christian community is God-centered. Look at verses 42 and the end of 47. It says they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Verse 47 says, praising God, having favor with all the people. God is the center of their community. In order for it to be Christian community, it must revolve around the triune God of the Bible. See, every relationship, every grouping of people has a uniting factor. Like spokes on a bicycle wheel, everything converges in one point and it unifies these varying people. In order to have the kind of community the Bible describes, we must have Jesus, we must have God at the center, binding us together. And this may seem obvious, but even within the church, many friendships don't have Jesus at their center. Many friendships, even within the church, they have maybe life stage at the, at the center, right? We're in the same stage of life, or maybe they have the same affinity. And so we, we're friends within the church, not because of what Jesus has done on the cross, but because of we like the same sports, or we like the same hobbies, for it to be Christian community, Jesus must be at the center. And so what does that look like? God-centered community prioritizes Scripture. It prioritizes Scripture. And so I want to encourage you, like this early church Christians, that we've got to be serious about the Bible in our small group gatherings. The Bible has to take pride of place in those things. The early church was asking, what do we believe? Why does it matter? How do we live it out? The same questions should apply to us today. What do we believe what the Bible teaches? Why does it matter? Because it shows us how to live. How do we live this out in practical ways? This is what we should be discussing in our groups. We should study the Bible together, memorize scripture together, ask questions of the Bible together, encourage one another with scripture. The Bible should be the language that we speak to one another. Community should help us understand the Bible more deeply as we bring different perspectives and experiences and angles to the text as we study it together. And so God-centered Christian community prioritizes Scripture. The next thing it does is it makes space for prayer. It makes space for prayer. When our relationships in the church are oriented around the living God, it is only logical that we as a group would go to him in prayer. It's amazing to me. I'm not trying to be mean to you guys. I do this too. I'm guilty of all of this. This is a sermon for me. But it's amazing to me how often we overlook prayer in our gatherings, maybe even in this church service, but in our small groups as well, or in our Bible studies and discussion groups, how often prayer is an afterthought. Here we are, and the God of the universe says, I want to hear from you. I'll listen to you. I'll invite you into my presence, and we just save it as like the final agenda item that we'll get to if we have time. I want to encourage you to make space for prayer I don't mean make space for long conversations about the prayer list, right? Some of you all know we were guilty of this. It's okay. It's a safe space. We go on and on about the prayer list and all the details about what's going on, and all that stuff's important. Sometimes it devolves into a gossip session, if we can be honest with one another. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about making room for actual prayer. Where we go to the Lord together as a group and more than one person prays and we pray by name for the issues of the day. I'm talking about prayer that's not just a laundry list of requests that we want God to answer, but instead is holistic prayer. Prayer that we spend time adoring God for who He is and what He's done for us. Prayer where we might even confess as a group ways that we have fallen short of the standard that God has for us. Prayers that offer thanks to God for the blessings and the goodness. He's given us in this life. And then, for sure, our requests and needs. Let's make space for those things in our group. If you lead a group, hear me, I want to encourage you, create space in your groups for these things. Lastly, the third way that God-centered Christian community happens is it should lead to worship. It should lead us to worship, right? Our Christian community should result in worship. Verse forty-seven says they were praising God together, and this is a natural outcome of genuine relationships centered on Jesus. And this can be a good barometer for your group and whether or not it is God-centered or not. What do you say to yourself on the drive home from your life group or from your Bible study? Is what you say, "Wow, Lord, thanks so much for the gift of those people who have pointed me to you and encouraged me." Or is it instead, man, the chicken was a little dry. At least the dessert was good, right? And some of y'all do need to step your chicken cooking game up. That's fair too. We can grow in this area. Pioneers, though, let me tell you, they've got that junk down. Anyways. What's the outcome of our group time, right? Is it worship, adoration, thanksgiving to God for his goodness, or is it just, man, that guy won't stop talking? And again, some of y'all need to stop talking so much in group, but still, you can kind of tell the posture of our heart and the, the gospel and God-centeredness of our groups by our response to our group time. All right, point number two. You guys are with me? That was point one with three subpoints. All right, we're going to keep moving. Point number two, Christian community is servant-hearted. Christian community is servant-hearted. Acts chapter two, verse 44 to 46 says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So what's happening? You got some people that are on Facebook Marketplace getting rid of some stuff, right? And they're they're taking the proceeds and they're using the proceeds from selling, you know, that old couch they don't need anymore to help people in their little home church, their little small group. I think it's a beautiful picture of Christian community. You you see a couple of things in this passage. It says they also go home to home, eating together, sharing meals together. And so two things for Christian community that is servant-hearted. Number one, servant-hearted Christian community practices hospitality. It practices hospitality. Hospitality in the Bible could be described as welcoming others into your homes and showing them the love of Christ when they're there. Throughout the scriptures, we see that one of the marks of genuine faith in Jesus is actually hospitality. The Bible makes this like a mark of salvation. Jesus tells his disciples when he's sending them out, he says, I want you to go town to town, home to home, and I want you to come into a city, and if people invite you into their home, if they show you hospitality, then go, receive it, take it. If they don't, I want you to kick the dust off of your feet, which is a symbolic act of judgment against those people. And so when you gather, church, I want to encourage you to show one another hospitality. Let them take their shoes off or keep them on, whatever they're most comfortable with, right? Some of you, this is going to be a rebuke for some of y'all, just hang with me. Some of y'all are making people take their shoes off when they come into your house because you're so worried about your carpet. And some people don't need to be taking their shoes off. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) And so I want to encourage you to let people be comfortable in your home. If you've got to get the steam cleaner out when they leave, so be it. Let's show the love of Jesus by letting people who need to keep the shoes on keep the shoes on when they come into your home. Offer them a cold drink. Offer them a snack. Have them sit down. Make them feel like family when they come into your home. Verse 46 says, they broke bread in their homes. I don't think we should ignore the Bible when it tells us to eat. Amen. When you get together with other Christians, somebody bring some snacks, please. Do the best you can. I want to I I say, I will say this. So some people have trouble with the hospitality commands in Scripture because they confuse hospitality and entertaining, okay? They confuse hospitality with entertaining. And hospitality and entertaining are two different things. Hospitality is inviting someone into your life and just sharing life with them in your home. Entertaining is showing off how good your life is, okay? They're two different things. Some people think I can't host a a life group in my home because my home's not big enough or I don't have enough furniture or I don't have nice enough plates or dishware or whatever. I gotta ask, what do you think was going on in the upper room? Do you think that was a 5,000 square foot home with five beds and three baths and a pool in the back? No. It's a bunch of 12, 13 dudes in a room on the floor gathered around what? The table and Jesus. That's what hospitality is. Whatever you've got Offer that to the Lord and invite people into it. Hospitality isn't impressing people with your home or your food. It's inviting people into your life and sharing it with them. It isn't about showing off, but welcoming in. I want to point out also, you can be hospitable outside of your home too. Maybe you have a group that meets here on campus. Some of these life groups are some of the most uh, hospitable places on earth. You walk into one of our Sunday morning life groups here on campus. Each one of those places is warm, welcoming, and inviting, and we should continue to encourage people in that. Servant-hearted community practices hospitality, but it also meets practical needs. Servant-hearted hospitality meets practical needs. The early Christian community, they were also involved in taking care of one another in real, meaningful ways ways. If someone within your group, if someone within your small group or Bible study has a need, it should be a tragedy of the highest order that they have to go outside of your group to get it met. I believe God has given us one another to help one another, to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another, and we should do that in practical, meaningful ways, in big ways and in small ways. I was in a group, I think the most recent group I was in. We had a guy in our group, he had been praying for a job for a long time, a change in job, and the Lord answered his prayer, got him a new job. The problem was it created transportation issues for their family because they only had one vehicle and his wife needed to go one direction one day and he needed to go the other direction the other day, and there's just no way for him to step into this new job with, with no vehicle. And so he let us know as a group. He said, "Hey, listen, would you pray with me about this?" He didn't ask anyone for anything. He just said, "Would you pray? I'm praying about this This as a need I have. Would you pray with me?" Well, in God's providence, uh, there was a a business owner in our in our group as well who said, "Hey, it's time to turn over the work trucks in my in my uh, in my company. It's time to get new ones in, and I've got some old ones that I've got to roll off. Um, I can I can sell you one for like." a quarter of market price, if, if that works. I know you said you, you had some money but not enough to buy a reliable one. And lo and behold, this, this need gets met with a vehicle, in a group, a major need. I've seen also in groups meal trains, and you guys are awesome at this. If someone in our faith family is in the hospital, has a baby, is sick, has a death in the family, they should not have to cook a meal for weeks. Amen? Our job as the church is to help with those needs, to step into them in practical ways. Big needs, small needs, we should meet those needs as groups. Two things are required for a group of Christians to meet someone's practical needs. Number one, they've got to be aware of it. And number two, the group has to have decided we're going to meet it. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in a group of some kind, make your needs known. Bring them to God in prayer, but also say, I need help here. And then groups. Decide we're going to meet those needs. We're going to help. Last point is this. Christian community is mission-minded. Christian community is mission-minded. Acts 2.47 says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And you see from this passage, this early Christian community, they weren't a holy huddle that just kept to themselves, were they? They were engaged in their community. They were engaged in their neighborhood. And I don't think it's insignificant that these early Christians had favor with all the people, it says. It's talking about non-believers. They had favor with non-believers in the community. How on earth does that happen? What makes sense. If we live out our Christian convictions to love others, to serve, to be kind, to turn the other cheek, to be honest and respectful... It makes sense that the world around us would like us a little bit. They may not like what we believe, but they may respect our behavior. I'm curious, what does the world think of your life group? Right? What do they know about your life group? Do they just know you guys as the one that clogs up all the street parking on the night when your group meets at your house? Or do they know you as the group that has served the neighborhood in meaningful and practical ways? We're curious what it would look like for life groups to decide we're going to step outside of our group and engage people around us. What would it look like if your group hosted a block party in the summer or an Easter egg hunt in your neighborhood or some kind of service project to clean up an area where you live? What would it look like for your group to decide we're going to serve at Love Jacks together and we're going to engage our community together? It might change people's perspective of you and of groups. The second way you can be mission-minded as a Christian community is you can share the gospel. You can share the gospel. People were getting saved as a result of these early Christians living the way God called them to live. And the Bible is clear that people don't get saved unless someone speaks. Romans is clear that you can't get saved. You can't put your faith in Jesus without hearing the gospel. And you can't hear the gospel unless someone speaks the gospel. And so these early Christians lived on mission not just with their actions but with their words. We really believe that Jesus came to earth in the form of a man. He lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, and that by believing in him, we can be cleansed from our sins, cleansed from all unrighteousness, secured heaven for all eternity. We really believe that. How can we not tell someone And if our groups are designed to help us live the Christian life, they should be designed to help us share the Christian faith. So I want to encourage you. I want to ask you, how are your groups doing in encouraging you to live on mission? Who's sharing stories of sharing the gospel with people in groups gathering? Who's praying for the lost in your groups? Are you asking for opportunities or looking for insight on how you might Step into gospel conversations. Christian community exists because Jesus died and he rose again. In Ephesians chapter 2, right after the famous verses on the gospel, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, By grace you have been saved, this through faith is a gift, not by works, so that no man should boast. Right after that famous passage, you know what? Verse 14 says that Jesus, by dying on the cross, he breaks down a dividing wall of hostility. He fixes relationships this way. He doesn't just fix relationships this way. He fixes relationships this way. The message of the gospel is a message for everyone that we might reach those to our left and to our right with the good news of Jesus. We should expect our groups to grow because we're living on mission. We should plan for our groups to grow because we're sharing the gospel. If we really believe the gospel has the power to save, we'd share it with confidence and then we'd prepare as a group to welcome in those who put their faith in Jesus. So our group should encourage us to share the gospel with others and should teach us how and should hold us accountable to do it and celebrate when we do. And so as we wrap Christian community in your life, a couple of things I need you guys to know. Number one, we were wired for Christian community. We were built for this. This is a non-negotiable. We must have deep friendship centered on Jesus within the church to be the type of Christians God's called us to be. We are not lone rangers. The Bible teaches that Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Have you ever watched the Discovery Channel late at night? Do they still have the Discovery Channel? What do they tell you about, about lions and how they catch their prey? Do lions go after the prey right in the middle of the pack? No. Which one do they go after? The straggler, the one that's on their own, the one that's by themselves, away from the group. That's the one the lion grabs. That analogy of Satan as a roaming lion is on purpose. The individual that's disconnected that is isolated that is trying to live the christian life on their own you're satan's prime target and so we've got to be connected to one another it's a non-negotiable but we've also got to pursue christian community it's not going to happen by accident you're not going to drift into christian community you're going to have to be intentional with it life groups are a strategy we also have grief share celebrate recovery a variety of other gatherings within our church and i'm going to be honest with you this may not be popular but I don't care which kind of gathering you get in. Like, I don't care if you join a life group or if you're in CR. I don't care. I don't care if you have a, a three-guy Bible study on, Sunday mo- or on Wednesday mornings early before breakfast. I don't care what group you're in. I do care that you're in something, in some kind of small group gathering. When you step into one, I want to encourage you to step all the way into it. Seek to serve someone else. Encourage, commit to it, put it on your calendar. I'll say one final thing. If there isn't a group for you, which I know some of you maybe have said, well, I tried to find a group, but there isn't one that meets at the right time or the right location or it's the right age group for me. Okay, maybe that means God's calling you to start one. Oftentimes, God makes us aware of needs so that we might meet those needs. And if God has made you aware of a lack in our church family, it's likely he's calling you to meet it. We can help you do it. So we've got a couple of action steps. Number one, if you're not in some type of regular gathering with our church, commit to finding one today. I need everybody to reach out in front of them. If you're in the room, grab this card right here. It's green at the top, it says Let's Connect. Grab this card. You can do it on your phone as well. You can go to the, 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 Matt can tell you. He knows this website back and forth, I don't know. He can tell you which cards, third card down. He knows all this stuff, I don't know. It's on there though, I promise. If you're online, you can drop it in the chat or you can do it on the, on the, on the website. Grab this card. If you are not in a group of some kind in our church, I want you to put your name, email, phone number, and just write on the back, I need a group. High tech here. I need a group, okay? Right on the back. That's your action step today. You can drop it in the boxes. There's one by that door, and there's one by that door right there, or you can just hand it to Matt on your way out, whatever works for you, but let us know. Someone will call you this week, and we'll help you find a group. Second action item, I want you to prayerfully consider leading a group. I want you to prayerfully consider leading a group. Some of you in here, God has equipped you, God has given you a burden, God has given you the margin to do it, and you haven't said yes yet. Today's the day I want to encourage you to say yes, I will lead a group, or I will host a group, or I will will help coordinate a group. If that's you, same card, just on the back, just put, I can help lead. not committing you to do it all, this is not a promise. I'm not promising you, will let you lead. We may meet you and go, nope, you shouldn't lead a group. Okay, so just... Just be clear. Some of y'all should not. But a lot of you should. And so I want you to put in here, I can help lead on the back. Same action item, box there, box there, handed them out on the way back, and we'll reach out this week. Church family, God has died on a cross, paid the price for our sins. And if we believe in him, we can have eternal life in the family of God, the Bible says. And God's intention is that we start practicing family of God life here and now. We were built for this. You can have, the Bible calls following Jesus, life and life abundantly. Some of us are not living an abundant life because we're trying to live life alone. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't do that anymore. Your church family will love you, accept you, welcome you in, be there for you, encourage you, send you out. They'll be there to rejoice with you when good things happen. They'll be there to mourn with you when bad stuff happens. But whatever the ups and downs of life brings, you won't be alone. So I want to encourage you to press in to Christian community because God calls us to because it's for our best and for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement to not live this life alone. Help us to be obedient to your word and step into small group gatherings, whether that's Bible studies or a an affinity-based group, or a life group, whatever it is, God, would you help us to take a step towards that today? For those of us that are already engaged in that, Lord, would you help us to press in all the more? Would you renew our excitement and our passion for them? And would all of that passion and excitement come from what you've done for us on the cross that motivate us to live life together as Christians following you as best we can? As we go from this place, Lord, would you bless us? Would you keep us? Would you help us to live on mission for you? And would you bring us back here safely next week? In Christ's name we pray, amen.